settle your attention in the body. Feeling your basic aliveness. Let your attention be very relaxed. Taking the attitude of receiving your experience.
Keep a relaxed attention. Non-reactive, non-judgmental. Noticing how phenomena appear and disappear on their own.
Bring your attention back again and again. Back to the body, the breath, the moment. You might notice how phenomena appear and disappear on their own. Become the witness, the one who knows.
you might invite your attention to be spacious, to spread out beyond the borders of your body, to include the sounds, the touch of the air, Phenomena appearing and disappearing on its own. Accepting. Investigating. This is not mine. This is not myself. I am the one who knows.
When you hear the bell, it's not a signal to end mindfulness. See, if you can bring that awareness with you into the light, We have time for some answers, time to discuss the matter at hand or the anti-matter at hand. Um, I've, I've found that sitting in meditation is a great, <clears throat> is a great uh, in, uh, source of creative ideas. The mind wants to do something, and you're sitting there, and it's saying, hey, I have an idea. Let's, uh, let's develop this. Uh, Chogyam Trungpa used to tell Allen Ginsberg to put his pen and paper down when he was meditating. 
to really separate the two activities. Um, that's, I think, the best thing to do is when you sit down and you really feel creative, let yourself be creative and, uh, you know, notice that you've made that intention to be, it be okay with it rather than sort of struggling against it. And, you know, I mean, that can have its benefits too, its insights into the creative process. But essentially they're two different, uh, they're two different activities. Um, but yeah, I think meditation can be a great source of new thought, new ideas. Is that helpful? Creativity? It's good. That it's was good. great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sorry. Um, I think they're two different things also. Uh, what we're cultivating is not necessarily a mystical experience, although they, they may come along. They're a sense of oneness, a sense of uh, everything, you know, being created, some kind of vision into reality. Uh, but that's not what we're doing when we're sitting down at, to to practice is looking for mystical experiences. I was for years looking for mystical experiences and I got a couple, I had a couple, I think. You know, that's where, that's where everything looks like it's, uh, it's perfectly exactly where it should be and, every, and everything is one thing. Everything is everything, man. You know, remember that? <laughs> anyway. Uh, I think it's really an interesting uh, area of research, and I don't know if you've read any much about it. Yeah, okay, please. So the work you're referring to, a lot of it comes out of Johns Hopkins, and a lot of it actually has been done <clears throat> with um, cancer patients and various um, terminal um, cancer patients. That's how they've gotten the permission to actually do those experiments right now. And um, it's done with use of, um, it's, it's in a very controlled environment, if you read the protocol, extremely controlled environment. There is music to guide, there are people who are guiding, there's, um, it's, it's multi-day controlled, it's facilitated. Um, so there's a lot of care taken, which is not so much accessible when one experiments, and even, um, but more so, um, just as Wes was saying, 
the practice here is not about experiences. What we're doing is not, you, you might have amazing experiences. Wow, oneness. I've had plenty of experiences. So what? <laughs> really, so what? It, it really has to do how you train yourself, train your heart, train your mind, and integrate those experiences through a rigorous path because you can have plenty of experience, and, and I know people who have had experiences and are and they're still, you know, mean and nasty. So you know, um, there's no integration <laughs> of the. So so it's not about experiences, and and I'm echoing my dear friend here. It's not about experiences, and also this path really it's step by step of. Uh, and if you do have experiences, if things open up, you know how you got there. You know, it's, oh, it's, it's gradual. It's not like, whoa, you end up in stratosphere and whoa, is that? And there are plenty of people also who have been broken from not being able to uh, integrate these wildly opening experiences when they were not ready. Whereas in this path, it's gradual. When you're ready, your heart and mind will open up. And you'll also have a path to um, integrate. Thank you. Uh, building really on all that, uh, I'm reminded of a saying I believe from Gurdjieff, the mystic uh, and teacher, has said that, and he, what he said uh, can be applied really to just about any practice. He said it about psychedelics. He said psychedelics are like a telescope; they show you what's possible or they can show you what's possible, but then you need to walk there on your own. And I think sometimes, and then a related saying uh, I offered it previously, sudden awakening, gradual cultivation, sudden awakening. And I think the key question is that when we do have um, openings into experience, uh, the Buddha certainly, particularly in the wise concentration or right concentration element of the Noble Eightfold Path, or it is sometimes said the ennobling eightfold path, the ennobling recognition of suffering, the ennobling recognition of the causes of suffering and its end. It's a different way of speaking of the Four Noble Truths. Um, he, um, certain experiences are actually very purifying, very clearing, very healing, very opening. And um, as Nikki and Wes are saying, the question really then is, or as Jack puts it really well, after the ecstasy, the laundry. Uh, how do we backfill? How do we cultivate that which we may have awakened? Right. That's a key question, really. And um, so, uh, I think that that's true for so many things here. There are moments of awakening here. There are um, a sense of a way of being, and then can we stabilize that into something that's more established in us? Think of the languaging of the probably fundamental description of practice in uh, the Pali Canon, the Satipatthana Sutta, the foundations of mindfulness. Arguably a better translation of that is the establishments. So that's a way of kind of helping ourselves. We Things become within sight, including in our sense of others, their states of being sometimes, teachers. And then we, okay, gently, skillful, we, skillfully, we try to help ourselves increasingly uh, establish ourselves there and allow that way of being to establish itself in, in us. 
without tipping into pitfalls of craving and clinging, selfing and essentializing along the way. So for me, that's a frame for all of this, uh, which can apply to various kinds of skillful means. <laughs> I, I, I think Nikki as well probably could speak to that. Uh, I have a very brief comment, which is that um, there's a, again a classic line, uh, you need to be somebody before you become nobody. And it's very important to not allow this exploration of self and not self to be fragmenting and dissociative. It's really important. And I, I offered a metaphor in a group yesterday of the kite. For the kite to soar, the string must be grounded. If you let go of the string, the kite will fall. Very important. That said, um, as, as Nikki and probably Wes well know, uh, while there's tr- a lot of localization of various function in the brain, including literally the control of your right little finger, there's actually very, essentially no localization of the apparent self. It's widely distributed, there are different regions that tend to get engaged, uh, including the default network. But if you look at a map of MRI studies of the brain, in various experiences that seem to be related to self and not self, activations related to the sense of self are all over the place, and they're mingled with all kinds of uh, activations related to not self-related activities. So it's <laughs> in, so in these, we have this parallel that's really powerful actually in the service of a disenchantment from the apparent t- approach to life of taking things personally. My precious. <laughs> uh, that the, in the streaming of consciousness of our phenomenology, our experience, which is our primary focus here and field of practice, uh, one can observe that actually the sense of self uh, increases and decreases, comes and goes, made up of many parts, arises and passes away dependently, so that the presumed defining attributes of a self as unified, um, independent and enduring are not to be found in our experience actually. There are many references to a presumed entity but you can never find the entity. And also in the brain, you have a similar finding of transience of various activations, distributed or compoundedness or all over the place, and they come and they go. So uh, just knowing that, again, bringing it as Wes has said, really into practice, it's really quite helpful to observe um, selfing as a phenomenon 
in experience. And what are the causes of it? How does it pass away? You know, um, and to distinguish between the person process, which is existent and real, mind-body personing. Uh, persons have responsibilities and rights. They matter. We matter. Each of us matters. And persons need not be presumed to have selves in the narrow sense of an entity inside. That's a helpful distinction summarized as, you see it in writing from a, I think a Thai teacher, uh, love yourself. Just don't love your self. That was really clear. (laughs) (laughs) That last sentence. One more. Without the word imposed, but self-retreat, yes. Self-imposed, going on retreat. Yeah, sure. I tried this part of an online course for like a half a day, and I'd like to know how you do it for three weeks. What is the parameters there? Sure, I'll speak very briefly because we do have announcements and and need, um, very briefly, um, there comes a time in your practice when you feel ready to to actually have a self-retreat. And one book that I uh, suggest is by Sylvia Borstein um, to help you set that up is um, uh, don't just do something, sit there. Um, And um, very briefly, you can set up the time, you know, have a schedule for yourself, um, uh, in advance decide what Dharma talks you're going to listen to, and for you, um, try to set up maybe checking in with a teacher every other day or every day or you know once a week or whatever might work for your level of practice to have that checking in. Um, and there's a lot more detail, but for the sake of time, I think I'm going to just leave it at that right now. Okay, some uh, announcements for the day. Um, Mark, who I think helped you check in, uh, is coming on to the uh, to the office crew, to the uh, manager's office crew, and he's taking the re- place of Ramon, who is gone for the day, and will be back on Sunday. Ramon is uh, singing at a friend's wedding, so uh, he took the afternoon off. Um, today is the last day for affinity sitting groups. Um, and tomorrow we'll all come back together. together. Practice meetings. If you had a meeting two days ago, you have a meeting today with a different teacher. And Alisa will have sign-ups posted later for this afternoon. And yes, Silence. Um, We urge you to keep the vow of silence um, in the next couple days when you can really uh, perhaps experience the fruit of your efforts and your labors and uh, 
when you when you feel that feeling, you'll know it and uh, let yourself taste it. You know, that empty, that open, that free feeling that you might have developed a, a little bit of. Uh, keep that and keep the silence so that people who are still deep in practice and deep in their uh, their understanding will not be disturbed by it. So, so that's that. Okay? Okay. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.